Welcome to the Daily Thunder Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Rabar, beat writer for DailyThunder.com. I am joined by Ryan Woods, contributor to DailyThunder.com. How are you doing, man? Shalom. And then joined by senior writer of DailyThunder.com, Olivia Punchoff. How are you doing, Olivia? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Long time, no chat. <laughs> yeah, it's been like four hours. <laughs> So we're going to talk about this Thunder season, this surprising, fun, entertaining, exceeding expectations season that ultimately ended in an exciting, exceeding expectations, but disappointing there at the end because it could have come out better, seven-game series against the Rockets. So just overall thoughts, general feelings of the season, though, Olivia. Honestly, it feels like that was like five years ago that we were in a seven-game series with the Houston Rockets. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so, like, general thoughts, I mean, I guess, it, like, if I'm comparing to how I felt at the start of the season, then obviously exceeded expectations can't be anything but super excited about the future of the Thunder. But as we started to progress through the season and this team started getting better, I feel like my expectations for them started to go up also. So in that sense, it was a little disappointing because it was really just like a 50-50 situation there at the end where they were like two seconds away from being in the second round. And that's disappointing. And the other thing that was disappointing is they were missing shots and messing up plays that they had won games on all season. And it just kind of sucked for them to, to fall apart at that one moment when we needed them. And so that was kind of disappointing. And then SGA, not going to lie, it was kind of disappointing in that in that game. I don't know what that inbounds pass was, but hopefully he is taking this time to grow. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia had some wine, so she's got like some truth serum going on. Right <laughs> she has some good hot takes from Olivia tonight. It is funny how much expectations play a role in enjoying a season or a game or a player. You know, like you said, at the beginning of the season, there were no expectations. But by the end of that series, I think we all expected Chris Paul to take over in that fourth quarter of a close game and win that game. So it was ultimately disappointing. Uh, Ryan, what were your general feelings on the season? I would agree with a lot of of what Olivia said. Um, So – I think it was the Minnesota game when the Schroeder Hail Mary passed to Adams. I think that was kind of where I started to be like, maybe we aren't a bottom feeder in the West and maybe we can win games. And so after that, and when they, they started to really creep into the eighth, ninth seed discussion, I was all in. Like it took no time for me to flip from – having no expectations to we could be the team that like surprises everyone and I kind of wanted a season where we did that rather coming off of like what felt like four years of just disappointing everyone um I was very pumped about that and then getting into the play like once we knew like they're going to be a playoff team I just wanted to I wanted this team to be the team that won a first round series um so like Olivia said once we got to it, it felt like any other Thunder year where you're just living and dying on every possession and wanting all of the things to happen that, you know, haven't happened in the last four years. So it was a disappointing end to the year, but it didn't, I will say it didn't sting like the rest, like the others came with, not only is this a loss and the season's over, here come all of the questions we've been avoiding all year long, all of the things we don't, we've not wanted to talk about or bring up, but all of, 
everything's just gravy. Like even the Chris Paul tribute video, well, tribute video, his like, what felt like a goodbye was like, man, love you. It, it didn't feel like painful. Like, like, like had Paul George made that same video a year ago, everybody would have been like, okay, what is going on? He just signed for three years. Um, so yeah, like started out, no expectations, so much fun. It continued and it's fun, but the expectations grew. You know, when those seasons ended before losses to the Blazers in the first round, losses to the Jazz in the first round, when we were supposed to be this contender with Russell Westbrook and Paul George and at the time Carmelo Anthony a couple years ago. Paul George, like you said, or Russ would have made a video like that. You're like, oh my gosh, we're going to lose the franchise. We're going back to Seattle. <laughs> this, this is terrible. Uh, but yeah, like you said, like CP3 makes that video or Gallo tweets like basically a hidden goodbye as well. We're like, hey, you guys are great. I wish you success. Go out and win a championship, buddy. You know, because the future is set. I think the unknown for so long was what's going to happen to this team. Kevin Durant left. What's going to happen? Russell Westbrook and Paul George leave. What's going to happen? Now it's like, okay, the superstars can leave. We've got a million draft picks. We've got three great core young players to build with, Shea, Dort, and Baisley. I think most Thunder fans are really happy and excited for the future. I know that there's that minority out there that that still hopes that CP3 is going to stay and we're going to re-sign Gallo and Schroeder's going to stay and Adam's going to stay. And I'm going to be heartbroken for those people in particular because they really think it's going to happen <laughs> and that this team is going to be contending. Because I'll see the tweets. Like Royce will tweet out like, so the rebuild is going to start, guys. And then you like read the comments and most of them are like, man, can't wait. Oh, Presti's the goat. Oh, uh, Shea's going to dominate, hand over the reins. And then some's like, no, guys, CP3's coming back. And we're going we're gonna to trade for Bradley Bill and we're going for the title next season. Like, you oh, know what? I, so much I don't feel bad for those people because at this point, after KD, after Russ, after Paul George, if you still haven't learned, then I don't feel bad for you. Like, you just need to, you need to learn to – handle your emotions and decrease your attachments a little bit, because if, if anything, as Thunder fans, we've been through this like a bajillion times, it feels like. So if you haven't, if you haven't learned from that yet, then I, I can't help you. There's, there's <laughs> I, been a I told you, Olivia with that wine, she's coming for heads tonight. She don't care. <laughs> and there's, there's been a ton of like, I think mindset shifting for Thunder fans. I think it started with Presti's uh, Oklahoman, op-ed like the I think that was a I mean looking back a year later it's like kind of a solid he did everyone like I couldn't I'm like a really cryptic guy but like I couldn't be more clear in what we're talking about right now like this is how this is gonna go and here are the reasons why like for us to be so stoked about all of these draft picks and young players that is so new yeah. um and for us to already be this excited about it, I think is a testament to how like the tightrope walk that he's been, that Presti's been on for the last 18 to 24 months. Like he's seen it coming for much longer than we've wanted to talk about it. And the fact that we're here and we're talking about how pumped we are for the future is a testament to that front office because they've obviously they've set it up to have such a bright future and things to get excited about. But we as a, collective a, a fan base it's been such a a quick seemingly easy transition I know like you're saying for some people they're not there yet but like for the most part it feels like Thunder fans are like 
very aware of what's going on and excited about it. And I think that's a, that's a cool place to be in. It's a new place to be in because we've just been about like, are we going to get to the finals this year? Um, and then it ends with disappointment to be, to be in a place where there's to have a year coming up. If everybody moves on where there's no pressure and we're just getting these young guys, a ton of minutes and losing games honestly benefits you. Like it's going to be a very weird year, but I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm ready for it. Yeah. It's exciting because you know, it's easy to lose. Like if we're supposed to lose, if that's the goal, we're never going to be disappointed. Like the times that like Baisley and Dort and Shea like show out, and we get a win. We're like, Hey, these guys are awesome. They just be like, you know, a contending playoff team. And the times they lose like, Hey, awesome. We're supposed to lose. That's better for a draft pick. Like it's a no lose situation going forward. And, and I like watching young players develop and play and get to know them and kind of build that culture. And so I'm excited to see it this season was like this cool, put it in the time capsule. Remember that time CP3 came back? That was like a special season, exceeded all expectations. And then I, I think this is going to be its own thing. I think that, that most of the vets are going to be gone. It's going to be a youth movement. It's also exciting to think about trades. It's, there's this weird trade culture. And I call it weird, but I'm a part of it too. I'm not going to lie. I've been on tradenba.com. I've been doing some trades. And it's kind of oh, yeah. fun and exciting. And that's the one thing we always win. We always win trades. So it's exciting yeah. to think about what's going to happen there. Like what kind of fleecing can Presley do in trades? Olivia, going forward, you mentioned Shea, but which young player centerpiece? We're only going to talk about three because God bless Nader and Burton and Diallo. You know, I wish them well. But as far as core guys, we're talking about Shea, Dorton, Baisley. That's the future that they're going to build around and put pieces around. Which one of those three are you most excited about? Um, okay, so I feel like this is not a real question for Olivia because the answer is obvious. It's obviously Darius Baisley, but I have good reason. And it's not just because I think he's just like genuinely the nicest person. It's because his growth in not just like a matter of like a season, like in a matter of like weeks has just been insane. And I feel like the improvements that he made in the bubble are very useful skills that will carry on to next season. And I think that him like ending the season the way that he did is highly motivated to build on the progress that he made. And that's just his personality, but also his confidence is so much higher, I think, heading into the off season than um, maybe like it was mid season. So I'm the most excited for him and to see, you know, how we can use him in different ways in the four, the five, just like his shooting. I think he like actually is a legitimate shooter. Like it was kind of questionable for the a minute if he could actually be a reliable three-point shooter, but I think he showed in the bubble that he has, you know, some of those flashes of being that type of player. So I think he's just really dynamic and really interesting. And I think his ceiling is incredible. Basically, if if he wasn't drafted 23rd overall and you just looked at what he did his rookie season and especially in the bubble and especially in the playoffs, if you look at his numbers, if you look at his his size, his height, his weight, his length, all those things and you didn't know where he was drafted, you're like, this dude could be a star after what he did at 19 years old as a rookie. I know he just turned 20. He was the youngest player in the playoffs. His stats were incredible. I mean, like across the board, offensively, defensively, if you took away the number 23 from his draft pick, and if you just saw that he was a top 10 recruit coming out of high school, you'd be like, this dude's going to be a star. What do you think, Ryan? I completely agree. And 
my biggest takeaway from Baisley in the playoffs was that he just seemed fearless. He just didn't seem like he was flinching at all. And uh, maybe that was, maybe that's just him. And that, that, that's, that was going to be Baisley no matter what. Maybe it's Chris Paul instead of Russ um, being such a supporter and such an empowerer on the floor. Um, because we've seen rookies in the past just look like shells of themselves when it becomes, when it, when it gets to playoff time and when, when the water gets hot um, around Russ. I, I just keep thinking about Sabonis, um, <laughs> who was like, they just didn't even play him. Um, he looked legitimately terrified to be on the floor. So um, I, I loved everything that Baisley did. And I think, and I'm sure we'll talk about the next coach here in a bit, but like, I'm very curious what, I think, I think the head coaching decision has a lot to do with, I think it'll, it'll say a lot for what we see from Dort and Baisley. I think the, the specific decision affects those two guys in different ways. Um, will that coach allow Baisley to play the five? Will he explore him playing in small lineups? And will that coach be okay with Dort as a non-shooter? Like, will that coach really want five shooters and playing small? Like, what will that look like? So I'm very curious, but I think both of them showed, like, they only got better um, throughout the playoffs. And I think that was um, incredible. And, and obviously Shea seems like a, seems like a more of a known commodity, but like it still doesn't feel like we've even scratched the surface with how good he's going to be. Yeah. We started the show with Olivia basically dogging Shea's uh, game seven performance because of one inbound pass. It wasn't because of one inbounds pass, okay? Like, if we're being realistic with ourselves, you know, the, the two players that you need to show up to be stars are Chris Paul and SGA. And both of them were pretty inconsistent. I'm not going to lie. Like, Chris Paul was better in the second half. But SGA had, a, like, I think two games where he was really strong. And then the other ones were just, like, really questionable. And I am not like – it's not like a character assassination on him that I think he's just going to be a player that's afraid of – the playoffs forever. I just think he's young and had felt a lot more pressure than someone like Baisley or Dort, who's just like, are literally playing with house money. Like it doesn't matter what they do. It's impressive. Right. But that's not the situation that SGA is. And so I didn't mean to say that I like think we should trade SGA or give up <laughs> like that, just so that he's young and he made some mistakes, but I think he's going to learn from that. That's yeah, I'm just messing with you. I know you love SGA. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> You know, in his rookie season, he, he played phenomenally against the Warriors in that 1-8 matchup when he was with the Clippers. And like you said, like he had some great moments in these playoffs. He won game three with that, with that corner three that he hit. That was a big-time clutch shot. And, you know, for, through the first, like, four games, I think that most people might say that you could argue Chris Paul or Schroeder – but SGA might have been the best player through those first four or so games. He did have a couple of rough games, and he was up and down. I agree agree totally with the series. And he looked like a little bit passive in moments in the playoffs. I agree with that as well. But I think overall, as like a 22-year-old kid, he was just in this weird position where it's like, we all know you're the future star of this team, and we're going to give you the reins. But right now, you're kind of – sharing the keys with Chris Paul and with Dennis Schroeder. And you're kind of a point guard, but you're kind of a shooting guard. And we kind of want you to take over sometimes, but kind of like step back and let Schroeder and Chris Paul do like it worked well. Obviously that three point guard lineup was like a special dominant lineup all season long 
I'm really curious to see what happens when it's officially his team and if that affects how passive or aggressive he may be. And hopefully he goes to another level. Maybe not. Maybe that's not in him. I'm hoping that we see that from him. So we talked about Shea. We talked about Baisley. The third piece, before we move on to the coaching search, Lou Dort. Do you think that we've seen – I don't want to say a ceiling because that's ridiculous. I mean, he's a, he's a 21-year-old undrafted rookie. Let me phrase it like this. Do you think that he's a specialized role-playing defensive player, or do you think that he can be a legit core piece that you build a championship team around, Ryan? I think his ceiling is higher than what we saw, to, to answer your question like that. I, I think he has room to improve um, as far as decision-making – as far as ball handling, obviously shooting. So if he can if he can square away some of those things, if he can just improve his shooting enough to have guys guard him. Um, and again, we are so far away from Dort having to play in a high stakes game again, it seems like. So it's not like he doesn't have time, but it does seem it does seem like there's going to there probably will come a time where it's it is going to be important that he can shoot better than he shot it in these playoffs. And it's weird saying that given the he hit six threes in game seven, but um, there's gonna there's gonna come a time where a, a def, he's gonna get the ball and the defender's gonna make a choice: do I guard him or not? And it's gonna depend on how well he's shooting at the time. And hopefully he's better than he is right now because I think he has the potential to be a Marcus Smart type player. I think if he turns into somebody like that, that is, I mean, I can't even imagine what like the front office could probably put it in much better terms, but like how how much value they could get, like they would be getting uh, from an undrafted player to a player like Marcus Smart. I can't imagine the, what, how they would categorize that. Um, just a home run, uh, you know, to the 10th degree. But I think he's got a lot more to show. He, defensively, he's maybe the best rookie I've ever seen. Um, so I don't, I don't know that he can – I don't know how much better he can get on the defensive end. I think that's wild to think about. But on the offensive end, obviously, they obviously think there's a lot for him to, to improve on. It's an exciting future for, for the Thunder. 20, 21, 22. And those three guys, you know, at moments, each of them were, were the best player in the playoffs for the Thunder. Each played a huge critical role for the Thunder. Olivia, I kind of dismissed all the other young guys. I'll at least I, – I don't want it to be like, hey, that's – the entire Daily Thunder's opinion. I'll throw it to you. Do you see any of these players sticking around besides those three? Do you see any potential in the likes of Diallo, Burton, Nader, any of the Isaiah Roby, Kevin Hervey, Devin Hall, are any of these guys going to be around here two years from now? Clean house on the whole, the whole situation. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Well, so most like the majority of the people that you just mentioned were like, okay, yeah, we're all in agreement. Like they didn't even play. So like, they're not even, they're not even factors. So I feel like the, the two most important people that you mentioned are Diallo and Ferguson. And if you're asking me, I'm done. <laughs> I'm over it. It's canceled. I'm ready to move on. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm whatever, like, um, whatever like excuses I've been making for them or it's just like a, a Billy Donovan thing or it's like a just like a Sam Presti has a type thing just I'm done with it <laughs> what's great about this rebuilding phase is it's kind of like a clean slate obviously the vets are going to be gone and then 
the the young guys they may stick around just because you got to fill up roster spots and a lot of them have like one year left on their deal so they may still be here next year and they may get minutes because somebody's got to get minutes but they're not in the long-term plans what i'm really curious about with this whole new slate i believe and i could be wrong i think that we'll see a shift from presti he built a team around russell westbrook and kevin durant i think that the way that the uh, league is going Presti's a smart guy. I think that instead of these long defenders that can't shoot, I think we'll start to see him draft and bring guys who who are ball handlers, who can shoot, who move the ball well. And maybe that's just my hope. But seeing the decisions he's made lately, I think that he's going to go that way. I feel like um, seeing that three-guard lineup and how effective that was. So if Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder are gone, I think it would be in his best interest to find similar players who can recreate that same type of three-guard lineup, exactly like you said, just because of the way the NBA is going. That seems to be the right move. And hopefully this like long defender thing was mostly just like a, this has person has to play alongside Westbrook thing and not like a Sam Presti thing. Right. And I was going to throw it to you guys about a, a question on Presti's direction with Shea. Like, obviously, Shea's a very versatile player, which makes it easy to build around. But at some point, you have to decide what you think his ultimate role will be and if they think he's a point guard or not. I think that is the first, like, major question when it comes to building out a roster going forward is do you think Shea is the lead ball handler? And maybe they use all of next year to find that out. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, I I think there's a lot of very promising guards uh, coming up in the next three to four years. And they're probably going to be in line uh, to get one. And if they're not, they, they have the pieces to go get in line. And if they think that a point guard is what's needed next to Shea, then I just think they need to answer that question in the next, in the next year um, because they will have to be – they're going to be forced to make their decisions at some point when it comes to whose hands are the, is the ball going to be in. No, that's, that's a great point. And I don't know that anybody knows that answer. Like you said, I think it will maybe be dependent on what he does this year. You know, he was drafted as a point guard – then with the Clippers, he basically was a 50-50 split between point guard and shooting guard. And, of course, with three point guards this year, he played shooting guard more and even small forward a lot as well. He kind of shifted. There's a lot of talk of positionless basketball going forward, and I think that is a thing. And, look, the three guys that Presti has to build around right now can all handle the ball, some of them better than the others. But basically at 6'9", his handles are, are great, especially for a rookie, and he can play make. I don't know. Ultimately, I kind of feel like Shea might end up being a shooting guard. Uh, I thought he was a point guard, and I hope he still is. But I don't really think it matters as long as he's a good player, which he obviously is. Obviously, we got to talk about coaching change. Billy Donovan, I personally like the dude. Was he a good coach? Yes. Could he have been a better coach? Yes. Did he do a great job with his team this year? Yes. Did he probably mess us over from winning that series against the Rockets? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I know that it wasn't Pressy's decision really for him to move on. It was kind of Billy's decision because he didn't want to stick around for a rebuild. Totally understandable. But I think this may be a blessing in disguise. No disrespect to Billy, but I think that, you know, the ceiling was kind of capped there. Who do you guys see coming in? Do you have a favorite 
do you think it matters? I mean, over the next couple of years since the Thunder are losing, like, do you want a great coach right now? What do you think, Olivia? So I alluded to this on Crossbolts. Shout out to Crossbolts, Mondays <laughs> and Thursdays on Twitter. Um, I don't think that the coach that the Thunder hire right now is going to be the coach that coaches this team when it's time to compete again. So I think that you're looking for a very specific type of coach who can develop young talent, who is okay with this rebuilding process, and who is not necessarily a playoff type coach. So that actually describes Billy Donovan in a weird way, but that's okay. That's in the past. So what I think that the Thunder should do is for this interim period before they hire the coach coach, I think they should go with an internal hire. And I think they should hire Mo Cheeks because he already has a strong relationship with these players. He has obviously shown that he can develop young talent. He's been, you know, consistently there with the Thunder as they develop some of their best players. And he's already done a great job with players like Baisley and Dort and SGA. So I think for now, go with an internal hire. Mo Cheeks is a great fit. And then three years from now or four years from now, however long this rebuild takes, then you hire a playoff coach like a Dan Tony or a Van Gundy or whoever that is. What do you think, Ryan? I certainly think that coach can be one in the same. Like I, Eric Spolster was hired long before LeBron signed in Miami and he kept the job. Um, they were good. They were better than the Thunder will probably be before he got there. But, um, but I think, I think the, if you find the right guy, that person can, can do better. the right What's guy that? or girl. hundred <laughs> percent. Thank you for the correction. Thank you. Um, that, that person is going to, I think that person can do both. I, I, I don't think anybody's going to take the job thinking, um, glad they hired me. I wonder when they'll want to compete. So they'll fire me. Um, so I, and obviously that person will, will need to have, like they're going to focus on development and connecting with these players and, and turning them into more than they currently are. Um, but by no means do I think that that person is automatically going to get fired when, it, when it comes time to uh, make the playoffs. Um, I per, I really, the more I read about what people say about Will Hardy, uh, an assistant with the Spurs, the more I'm like, please, please, please hire Will Hardy. Um, he's, um, he interviewed for the Knicks job and from all accounts, like just blew him away and, uh, which it makes it even more funny that they hired Tom Thibodeau. Um, but he's, he's just a, a really sharp guy, forward thinking, analytically driven. I think he's, he's a big reason that the Spurs have continued, you know, you can point to those assistants under Popovich for for a lot of their sustained success over the years. So many of them are now head coaches elsewhere. Um, I would just much rather see that type of hire, even an internal hire, like Olivia said, over um, like a Brett Brown hire or um, like, please stop tweeting about Mark Jackson, like any, anything, but like Brett Brown, Mark Jackson, I'll be, I'll be able to easily talk myself into. Um, but like even Kenny Atkinson, I, I don't know if I think Kenny Atkinson might be a little too expensive for what they want at this point. Um, and he probably, he might want other things. He might be in line for, for jobs that are more win now, but someone like that, I think would be phenomenal. Like he had 
he had Brooklyn playing so well. Um, the whole vibe around Brooklyn changed when they hired him. So um, I like I like him a lot. And but Will Hardy would be my favorite if I could just pick anyone. It would be him. I think the hardest thing with this decision is you are hiring a coach for a team that doesn't even exist yet. Like you don't know who's on the team for next season. You don't know who you're going to add or how you're going to build around SGA. So I don't even know how you make this decision. Really. I don't even know if there is a right choice because you just don't even know what this team is at this moment. And I think, I think that's why it'll be a while, but I think that, I think they will wait. It, it, it seems like the timeline will be Presti, the CBA finalizes and then Presti starts making, making the moves, playing the cards, trading guys before before they hire a coach and which to Olivia's point I think makes even more sense that they would hire that they would just promote Mo Cheeks or Brian Keith like whatever um to kind of as a, a stopgap between this year and maybe a couple years so um so yeah I think in, internally is where they'll look because I don't know that there will be that much time between the time they trade some of these guys and what the team like getting the team assembled and the start of training camp. So um, unless, unless things happen really quickly, I think it will be somebody internal. I'll tell you this, whoever it is, is going to be somebody that's high character, a family man or woman. Yes. And uh, see, I didn't mess up there, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> and is okay with living in a small market like Oklahoma City. Scotty Brooks, Billy Donovan, both high character family guys who totally love the, the small town feel and vibe. I don't know who it'll be, but I know they'll have those kind of qualities. As we end the show, I'm going to throw out some names and I just want you guys to tell me yes or no if you think that these players will be on the Thunder opening day roster next season, okay? We'll go uh, Olivia first. Chris Paul. No. No. Steven Adams. No. Yes. Danilo Gallinari. No. No. Dennis Schroeder. No. No. Andre Robertson. Yes. Yes. Oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> Nerlens Noel. Yes. Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. And last one, because we're not going to do any of the young guys. We're just doing vets here is, is the whole point of this exercise. Mike Muscala. No. What's his deal? He's got, <laughs> he's got one year left. I believe it's a player option, uh, which he would probably take. But, you know, obviously if with trades and things like that, he could be a throw-in, salary filler, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I'll say no. Look at all those no's. This is going to be a completely different team. The average age, they're not even going to be able to, to buy a beer. <laughs> this is going to be an all-new, fun, young team. Who knows who's going to come in with trades and free agency and, and draft picks and all that stuff. But this is going to be a whole new team, and it's exciting. The rebuild is exciting. And to me, if you're going to rebuild and start a whole new era, there's nobody you'd rather have than Sam Presti leading the charge. So, Olivia, Ryan, thanks for being on the show as always, guys. Thank you so much for thanks listening for having us. to the Daily Thunder podcast. <laughs>